going back to Bethel. Now, you might have heard the expression going back to Bethel. Some Christian songs actually use that expression. The whole concept behind the phrase back to Bethel is the believer, the child of God going back to that spiritual point in life where you felt alive for God, that your salvation was real, that God was real. It was a time when you were more excited about the things of God and you want to go back there. You, you yearn for that because that's a place where you felt closer to God than where you are today. Now, I'm going to assume that some of you know exactly what I'm talking about and you would almost do anything to get back there. Now, years before the events we see here, Abraham journeyed back to Bethel after the wanderings to Egypt and we know what happened there and he came back to Bethel. So, Bethel became this this rallying point It was a geographical place, but more than that, it was a significant spiritual place. And 30 years before the events of this chapter, the Lord met Jacob in a very special way at Bethel, the stairway from heaven. At the time, he was fleeing his angry brother Esau. Jacob made a vow, an immature kind of vow that if God, if God brought him back safely to the land of Canaan, then he would be his God. He would allow God to be his God. Now, God, even then, accepted this very immature part of the deal. God kept his part. Jacob prospered financially, was blessed with 11 sons, a daughter, And on his way out of Haram, he had another incredible encounter as God wrestled him into submission at the place called Peniel. The Lord protected him even as he dreaded meeting the brother that he had wronged years and years before. And even though God told him to get back to Bethel, because it took him more than once to tell him, you need to get back to Bethel. Jacob got sidetracked and settled in Shechem where he went through a decade of spiritual slump. It was a place where he wasn't supposed to be. We spoke about that last week. Terrible events, chapter 34 one of the saddest chapters in scripture. The lowest point being the rape of his daughter Dina and then the terrible revenge inflicted on the population by his sons. Slaughtered and pillaged and did all of that. Now in our Christian walk, we've all gone through spiritual slumps, spiritual troughs the down times, when the Lord seems distant. Usually you're not aware of it straight away 
then you realise that you aren't as excited about the, the things of God as you used to be. You might be still going through the motions. You might even be coming regularly to church, reading the Bible, even praying. But in the words of Revelation, you've lost your first love. And it's easy for that to happen when we become familiar, very familiar, almost too familiar with the things of God. Maybe you're tired from serving. You've served in a, in a ministry for years, always giving out and no refilling, running on empty. And then you start going lukewarm on the things of God. He knows, the believer knows it's not right because he can still hear the voice of God. And even as the preacher stands up to preach, he can still see that God is, 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 is trying to grab his heart. Come on, let's do this. And yet there's a resistance that says, no, I can't do it. And it's a miserable existence. You know where you want to be and yet the price, the cost is too high. How hard it is to remember the good days of walking with the Lord. How do you start the road back? How do you start growing again? And Genesis 35 gives us some clues, some steps as to how Jacob began the road back, the road back home. And hopefully we can learn some things, some very important lessons this morning. The first step on the road back is listen to God, verse 1. Listen to God. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. The first step in getting out of a spiritual slump is to listen to God's word. It seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? Almost too easy. It can't be that easy. Well, that is the first step. Needless to say, it's hard to rekindle a relationship, any relationship, if the phone is always off the hook. You're calling, you're calling and nobody's answering. Nobody's picking up the phone. You don't want to talk to anyone, much less listen to anybody. And and for for Jacob, what happened is that for for, for 10 years, in in, in the last chapter, God would have had every right to tell Jacob, Jacob, I've had enough of this. I've tried, mate. I had high hopes for you, but that's it. I've had it with you. But no, instead the Lord graciously says to him to get back to Bethel. It's almost like the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and a third time. And finally, Jonah did what he was supposed to do. And and the word, the expression here in, in the original language in Hebrew, the word go up, is a very special word. It is a, is a call to a religious pilgrimage. It's not just a walk to the park. It's actually, come on, let's go together. And that's encouraging. 
God wants us to come back to him to grow. And after the disaster of the last chapter, like the, the father waiting for the prodigal to come back home, the Lord is looking for his straying children to return to him. And God took Jacob's original commitments that he made 30 years before and to work with him. God kept his side of the bargain. It was Jacob the one who was straying. Now God commands to go back and fulfil your side of the bargain, what I ask you to do. My computer wouldn't start this week. Yeah, that's not a big surprise. But as, as, the, as you press the button to start the computer, the whole process of, you know, it just goes through all these codes and all this and suddenly it stops because there's a break in the code somewhere. And then the, this message appears and says, do you want to reset your computer to the point at which last time it started? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you computer geeks, you know. Do you want to reset to the last time it worked well? And I just say, yes, please. There is that ability. Yes, it'll, it can actually go back to a point in time, go through its memory and says, this is the last time it worked, let's go back there rather than where it is now because now it's not working. God is telling Jacob for a reset. And God maybe is saying to you this morning, let's go for a reset. Let's go back to the time when things worked well. And start again. Maybe the last time where things worked well, you were only a child. Maybe you were in Sunday school, youth group. It doesn't actually matter where or when it was. That's why what we've, this ceremony we've had this morning is, 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 is an important part of the process of bringing a child to God in the, in the things of God. And I know that, you know, I gave my life to the Lord at the age of nine. And you say, well, did you understand everything? Even though I grew up in a Christian, I didn't understand everything. Some of our children, some of you guys didn't have it all worked out. Did you read Calvin's Institutes at the age of nine? it was a very immature, innocent commitment that I made to the Lord but it was enough to get started, wasn't it? And maybe you're saying amen. Yes, that's right because what happens is that it's important to encourage our children in the way to commit themselves to the Lord even if they don't understand even if they haven't got it all together because it is a point that we can say, this is the commitment you made then. Can we, can we go back and, 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 and say, are you still serious about that commitment? Can we reset to that point in your life and, and start that journey and keep growing? So don't be afraid when children say, Mum, what do I need to do to trust in God? How do I give my life to God? They're never too young. Jesus' words, I'll take you again. 
Don't prevent the children. Don't, don't stop them coming to me. Because all of us, he said, all of us, young or old, can only enter the kingdom of God as children. The second step in the road back is cleaning up, verses 2 to 5. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Jacob knew, slash Israel, because that was his name as well, Israel, but here he's called Jacob, later he's called Israel. Jacob knew that if he was going back to Bethel, some changes would have to be made in his life. Maybe this is actually one of the reasons, ten years ago, why he didn't want to go back to Bethel, because he wasn't ready to make those changes just yet. He didn't feel ready. But did you see the price that his whole family paid as a result of his unreadiness? He is the leader of the family. And because of his unwillingness to obey God, the rest of the family had to pay a huge price. But once he made the move, Jacob knew that he had to make a spring clean. Spring is coming up, by the way. Let's have a look at what he did. The first thing is they threw away their idols. Remember that I was, as they were leaving in a hurry from Dad's house, Rachel stole her father's household gods. You know the little gods? to protect you and all of that. Then dad came looking for them. But it looks like it wasn't just Rachel. It looks like the rest of the family had a, their own collection of little gods, their idols. Maybe even as the boys got looting Shechem, uh, that they started collecting some of the gods of the Shechemites as well. I think that Jacob had known that there were all these little gods hiding around the premises but he didn't have the courage to do anything about it. But when God told him to return to Bethel, Jacob took on the responsibility to confront his family's sin before he got there. Let's get rid of them. God didn't tell him to do that. He didn't have to. He already knew what he had to do. Idols, you see, aren't just little statues statues that that you bow down to. No, that's too easy. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in your life. Those things that block you, that stop you from growing in the Lord that stop you from doing his will, that becomes an idol. Career success is a very big one. Material things. Even our kids can sometimes become our idols. 
much as we love them dearly, we cannot worship our kids. They threw away their idols. Um, I'm going to share a story. I think I might have shared it before. My um, mum's here, so she, she told me this story. If it's wrong, you can tell, ask her. My father was, my grandfather was Italian. He had a remarkable conversion after wandering, you know, an alcoholic and, and all of that, and gave his life at the turn of the last century in the streets of LA. He was in his mid 30s and had a remarkable, heard the call of God, gave his life, and he had a remarkable conversion. Full on. He went to Paraguay where as a single man where the government gave him a block of land. And by the way, for the, our family, that block of land became like the Bethel, the, the, the gathering place for the, for the patriarch type of thing, you know. You know what I'm talking about. He, uh, he lived acro- across the road from where he settled because all of the immigrants... Australia's not the only place that has immigra- immigrants, by the way. Does that surprise you? Okay. Before I, my family came here, they were also immigrants from other places in Europe and all of that. So, anyway, they settled... Like, across them was this Czechoslovakian. My grandfather was Italian and this Czechoslovakian... Uh, brother and sister settled across the road. Anyway, my grandfather sees this, this girl stealing some bananas from his orchard and then they were married three weeks later. As you do. Now, I think Pablo and Danielle's courtship was a little bit longer than that, just, but three weeks and they went to have 12 children, 11 of which survived into adulthood. But she came from a Catholic background. My, father, my grandfather was already converted. And, and as soon as, after a three-week courtship, you don't sort out everything, do you? Surely. I haven't sorted out everything after 31 years of marriage. Anyway. Oh no, that's just me guys, because I know you guys have all sorted out. Sorted out. You're, you guys are perfect. That, that's great. Congratulations. <laughs> so, so what my grandmother did is she brought her idols with her. You know, the little saints and all that type of stuff. My grandfather knew already that this was wrong. And so they were married before a judge and my grandfather, Italian, you know, he just smashed the idols. He just, you know, broke them to pieces. And you can imagine my grandmother's reaction. She was beside herself. She walked away. She, she left him. Because, you know, this brutal human being just destroyed her idol. Anyway, so the judge comes and says, look, you're a little bit harsh, mate. You just get a this is not the way to do it. Like, you just, you're going at this marriage thing with it like a sledgehammer. Literally. And he calmed down and slowly 
but surely my grandmother's heart was changed for God. She only lived to the age of 51, died of cancer, but she became a wonderful, godly woman because God was working patiently in the life of this wonderful couple. But the point is that those idols needed to get rid of in order to move that. Now, that was a pretty harsh thing to do, obviously, but it needed to be done. I'm asking you, what, what are the idols that you're holding on to that you're struggling to get rid of? Are you hiding them? Because I can tell you one thing that you probably know. I don't know what they are, but you know what they are. If they're preventing you from getting closer to God, they need to be thrown away. Secondly, they purified themselves. All that filthiness, inward and outward, had to be cleansed. Likewise, we have to cleanse ourselves by confessing our sins and appropriating God's forgiveness. Paul says to us and to the Ephesians, he said, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of it. That's the cleansing. Thirdly, they change their dress. Clean garments are a, a symbol of separation. Remember the instructions of the father when the prodigal son returned. They was bring the best robe and put it on him. It was a symbol of a new life. If we're ever to be where the Lord desires us to be, we must dress ourselves appropriately in the holiness of God. Fourthly, they created a distance. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods that they had and the rings on their ears And Jacob buried them under the oak of Shechem. That's in verse 4. They buried them. Why were they buried? Because they're gone forever. It's not so they can go and dig them up again. That's it. No, they're gone. And that's a picture. What we see here is a a wonderful picture of repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of direction in life. That's what repentance means. So when, when a person repents of something, they change their thinking. And they turn. They walk away from it and turn towards the new direction that leads them to Christ. Repent, as someone said, repent means turn and never return. Turn and never return. Let me give you the parallel verse, the parallel New Testament verse from what we've just seen here. James chapter 4 verses 8 to 10. And Ted's heart just misses a heartbeat every time I mention James. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
That doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? And yet, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. You, your job is to go down, 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 down and the Lord's job is to lift you up. That's what it says. Thirdly, the third step in coming back is remember God's mercies, verses 6 to 7. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Actually, most of this chapter, all of these verses, in one way or another, focus on God's past and continuing mercies to Jacob. The fact that God protected him from Esau is mentioned three times. The fact that God protected Jacob and his family from the revenge after the boys went and slaughtered all of the Shechemites. It tells us that the fear of God was set upon everybody so a terror on the rest of the Canaanites say they would not touch them. They had God's protection. Last time that Jacob came to Bethel, he was alone. He was running away. He was alone. This time he comes to Bethel with a great company. How could he not be thankful to God for his compassion, his abundant blessings? Sometimes I think we make the mistake that to get out of a spiritual hole we need to Go to listen to a preacher to discover some new spiritual truth. Something so marvellously wonderful that unlocks all all of our secrets in our spiritual life and, and will bring us closer to God. So we go from one conference to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. It's only because this preacher holds the key to my success. Yes, it, it I'm not going to deny it. It can happen. More often, however, is that we need to be reminded of old truths again and again and again. We need to recall that in spite of our sin and wayward hearts, God is faithful. God tells us through the Apostle Paul, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He started the work, he's doing the work, he's going to finish the work. That's the reason we come to church. We meet regularly. We study his word. We encourage one another. We pray for one another because we, we need to spur each other on to be reminded of all truths. That's the reason we celebrate the Lord's Supper, to remember what God has done, to remember His sacrifice. Remember the Lord. Remember His mercies. The fourth thing is, Trust God no matter what. Verses 8 to 28. Trust God no matter what. 
We mistakenly, another mistake that we make, I think, is that once we, you, you feel, you, you think that you've turned the corner, that you, you sense that you're in the right place with God, that you, you are where God wants you to be, the joy comes in your life, that, that, that suddenly that, that you're obeying God, that he will give us this trouble-free existence, trouble-free life. But obedience doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that for me. That hasn't meant that for a lot of God's servants in history. In fact, radical obedience to God usually means the total opposite of a trouble-free life. Have you read of any of the missionaries and their their testimony? Uh, Christians... I think a few Christians actually sense this, that radical obedience to God might mean more trouble. So I'm just going to step back, watch everything from my lukewarm existence, just about right, not too hot, not too cold, but just, just about there, comfortable. I know we don't verbalise a lot. We, no, but... Our God actually sends trials, painful as they are, to keep us spiritually fit. To shake us out of our spiritual complacency. If all those horrible events didn't happen in the last chapter, Jacob quite possibly still would have remained at Shechem, wouldn't he? If Abraham didn't have all those problems back in Egypt, he still would have ended up settled in Egypt. And the story goes. God sends the trials in our lives to shake us. Significant that in this chapter, which is mostly about Jacob's spiritual recovery, there are no less than four tragedies in his life that he has to deal with. The first one is a little bit obscure for us, but I'll explain it, the death of Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, in verse 8. As close as he was to his mother, the death of her beloved nurse would have been tough for Jacob. Why? Because she was probably his nanny who brought him up. The, the, the name that he gives to Deborah's burial place, the Oak of Weeping, he shows his grief for this woman who obviously cared for him, even as a, as a wandering, obnoxious little boy. He loved his nanny. Secondly, the death of Rachel, his beloved, love at first sight, Rachel. She died in childbirth. Rachel was the love of his life. He was willing to work for Rachel for 14 years. And he, re, he renames Benjamin in spite of Rachel's death. You know, it, it seems to be Rachel gave, in her death, she was giving Benjamin a name, son of my sorrow. But Jacob, in his newfound walk with God, he renames him son of my right hand. That's what Benjamin means. 
A mother dying in childbirth is such a horrible thing, isn't it? And, and it happens in, I know it happens in many parts of the world where we don't, they don't have the hospital services that we do, but even, even then it happens here. So sad, so dramatic that one life effectively gives way for another. The tragedy. The third thing is his eldest son Reuben commits incest, sleeps with Rachel's maid Billa and Israel hears about it. And uh, this crass sin must have stung Jacob dearly because in, in Genesis 49 he talks about it. It hurt him. When he, and it says all of Israel heard about it. It means that everybody in his whole surroundings heard about it. All of his family heard about it. No, it was no secret. It was bad. And lastly, lastly, the death of his father Isaac. This is the final sorrow in, in this chapter. Jacob lived in Hebron with Isaac for about 12 years before Isaac died. And Isaac uh, lived a full life. 180 years is is a pretty full life, you would say. But Jacob wasn't a, a spring chicken himself. He buries, as he buries his father, there is another link to his past which is severed, which is removed. And that's life, isn't it? One generation comes, the other one disappears. That's what's going to happen to us unless the Lord returns before then. And it appears that in all these things finally Jacob is maturing. That despite all these trials in his life he is bearing these trials with a new renewed trust in God. That's the underlying feeling we get here. The last chapter is all about sin where God is not mentioned at all. But in this chapter, God's name appears 11 times. So trials can either point you, take you away from God, if that is where you want to go, or if you turn those, that attitude around, trials can actually bring you closer to God if you make them self, from self-focused to God-focused. Which way are you going to look? Are you going to look at your problems or are you going to look at God? Final lessons. God's place of blessing for Jacob was in Bethel. That's where he had his most intense spiritual experience. But he had to spend 30 years in Haran and then in Shechem before he came back to Bethel to appreciate what he had. In, in, in some ways, in, in, in a real sense, you'd probably say, well, those 30 years were wasted years. But in another sense, they were necessary in the process of, of shaping Jacob. The, the, we don't need to go looking elsewhere for the, for the treasures, for the gold, because the treasure is sitting right here. We have all of God's treasures in Jesus Christ and in his written word, 
What else do we want? What else do you need? It's right here. And Peter says, his divine power, I love this verse, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything. There's nothing missing. We have the treasure right here. And sometimes God uses a spiritual slump to make us wake up to the riches right under our noses. If you are in a slump, time to shake it off and listen to God. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't really care about changing anything. You're simply chilling comfortable in your present situation. You don't want to get any closer to God because you want, you, 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 you're scared of this whole word change. I just want to be left alone where I can do what I want, enjoy myself. Change? No, it's a bit too much for me. Thank you. Well, if that is your attitude, you probably need to be saved. Because you need to come to Bethel for the first time. It's not even a recommitment if that voice of God is so silent that you can't even hear him tugging at your heart. Come to Bethel for the first time and trust Jesus as your saviour. Don't trust yourself. Trust Jesus. Some of you here today need to come back to Bethel a second, a third, a fourth time. You need to rebuild those altars, clean them up, get all the soot out of them and light the fire. Worship the Lord. Wouldn't you love to enjoy the peace that surpasses all understanding? Serving God. Worship Him as He has to be worshipped. Wouldn't you be able to, wouldn't you like to be able to come to church and worship instead of coming with a sense of guilt and shame and just with open arms and says, Lord, whatever, wherever you send me, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Finally, let me remind you that as good a place as Bethel is, it is not the final destination in our spiritual walk. It is an important point in our journey It is an important place in our spiritual pilgrimage to heaven but heaven is our destination. And sometimes you might feel frustrated that in all these years you you feel a bit like Jacob uh, the last 30 years are just being wasted. But maybe you should look a little closer. Perhaps there, there were times that you can that God will use for you to regain a new appreciation of his mercies, of how far God has brought us. Look around you. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And God doesn't demand instant perfection. He has all the time in the world, obviously. And he leads us little by little, step by step, making inroads, shaping us, moulding us, less of us, more of him. 
remaking us in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the God we serve. It worked for Jacob. It's been the, it's been the secret of many godly men and women who have served the Lord for centuries and for thousands of years. God is saying to us, work with me, not against me. Here I am. 